be a bad. Let's stand and read Romans chapters 2. Tonight we're looking at verses 12 through 16. But for context, we're going to track back to verse 11 where we left off last week. This is what the scripture says. Starting in verse 11. For there is no partiality with God for as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in between themselves, their thoughts accusing them, or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. May God bless the reading of his word. Be seated in the house of God tonight. My title tonight is this. Don't put the emphasis on the wrong parenthesis. Don't put the emphasis on the wrong parenthesis. Now I want to know how many people does your translation put Verses 13 through 15 in brackets or parentheses. How many people? Raise your hands if you have brackets or parentheses. Parentheses in 13 through 15. Okay, this was very interesting to me and how powerful a, such a small thing is when it comes to Scripture interpretation. And one of the things I noticed, I've always been a fan of the ESV. Anyone carrying the ESV tonight? <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, how many of you, let's take a spectrum, how many of you have uh, King James, raise your hand, uh, how many of you have New King James, how many of you have NIV, how many of you have uh, NLT, if you do, leave it at home, how many of you have uh, Holman, Holman Christian, HCSB, how many of you have uh, New American Standard, NASB, alright, praise the Lord, no one using ESV. That's the study Bible. ESV is the most popular study Bible that, we, uh, that is published right now. It's a fantastic translation as far as the, the word-for-word accuracy. But one thing I noticed is the ESV did not include the parentheses. But for our sakes, hopefully your translation, does the NIV include parentheses? No? Your, your NIV does. It could be dependent on the publisher. We're going to see how significant those parentheses are. That's why Jesus said, Neither a jot nor tittle shall fall away from the law until all things are fulfilled. I don't know at what point in the translation process those parentheses became so important. But they're so important that the, uh, the King James uh, printed them 400 years ago. The New King James printed them uh, 40 years ago, and, and they're still in majority of translations being printed now. Here's what I want to do first. In my Bible, if you're not opposed to this, you see, I believe my Bible is my coloring book because when things stick out to me, I color it. What I have done is I have highlighted verses 11, 12, and then skipped to verse 16. Why? Because verses 11, 12, 16 make a complete thought. 13, 14, 15 are parentheses, meaning a side note. But what happens is we read straight through 13, 14, 15 like it matters to verse 16. But verse 16 is a 
a connection to verse 12. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read verses 11, 12, 16 without the parenthesis. Okay? Let's do that. Look at your scripture. For there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without the law will perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So here's our foundational point we're going to start with. In the day, meaning the day of wrath, Paul for an entire chapter 2 is talking about the wrath of God that's revealed. In the day, what's going to happen in that day? Verse 12. The ones that have not the law will perish without the law, and the ones that have the law will be judged by the law. That's what's going to happen in verse 16. Why does that matter, preacher? Let's examine it. Verse 12, we see that all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. All who sin under the law will be judged by the law. The question we could ask, what about people who've never heard the gospel? What about people who don't have the law? Will they be judged? Well, the problem with verse 12 is there is not an option of judgment for those who have never heard the law. Let's read verse 12 backwards. Those who sin under the law, which means they've heard the commandments of God, they have the gospel. Those who sin under the law will be judged by the law. Key where they're judged. There will be judgment for those who have the law. Now let's read it backwards. Those who sin apart from the law will perish apart from the law. Is there the possibility of judgment for those who don't have the gospel? Here's what I want to do. I want to look right at verse 12 and pretend like you have an elementary education, that you're a nine-year-old reading verse 12 and ask this question, those who have the law, will they be judged? The answer is no. There cannot be a judgment over someone who the only option is perishing. See, for a long time I had heard that those who have never had the gospel cannot be judged based on how they responded to the gospel because God will judge them according to a different standard. How many have ever heard that before? The reason you have heard that is because people have not properly allocated the parentheses of 13, 14, 15 and they think that 13, 14, 15 is explaining something that's going to happen in the day of judgment. Verse 16. But what we're doing is we're setting aside 13, 14, 15, and we're going to examine them by their self for a moment. You see, Romans chapter 2 doesn't present the option of judgment for those without the gospel. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, it looks like as we read, there is an option. We'll get there in a minute. All who sin Apart from the law, will perish. Let's just put it right there. All who sin apart from the law will perish. That sounds easy enough. Those who sin apart from the law will perish. Those who have the law will be judged. Now let me tell you something. This is good news. That those who have heard the law will be judged by the law. And I'm going to tell you why this is good news. You see, if you have heard the gospel, if you have heard the law of God, the command of God, the Bible, the scripture, the Old Testament, Jesus says all the Psalms and the prophets speak about me, the Messiah. If you've heard those and responded to those, you've sinned under the law, you'll be judged under the law, and your judgment is according to what you heard, and that was Jesus, and you've responded, that's good news. Because Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, he has raised him from the dead. You will be saved, my friend. 
When you're judged according to the law, God means he's judging according to the covenant he's made with man. And that covenant is if you believed in my son, there is salvation. You see, there's good news that me and you will be judged according to the law. Because all of the law points to Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you what. Romans 10, 9, this is my favorite verse to use in evangelism. I share the gospel with someone. Matter of fact, what I do is I convince them they're, they're a sinner for 30 minutes. In the last two minutes, I share in Romans 10, 9. I say, my friend, my friend, no good news for you. Let me tell you something. Right now, if you die, if you die on car wreck and ray home, friend, there's only wrath, judgment, and perishing for eternity. And then I just stand there and let the silence bear weight for a moment. And then they say, well, what can I do? <laughs> now you ask. Romans 10, 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I always tell the person to look at that last period in Romans 10, 9 and say, what is there at the end of the sentence? And they will say, a period. And I'll say, yes, you're right. It's not a comma. It's not a colon. It's not a semicolon. It's a period. It doesn't say you will be saved if you become the smartest Sunday school teacher. You will be saved if you memorize the New Testament. You will be saved if you do so many actions. It says you will be saved. Now, the reality is, in Greek New Testament, there was no, what do you call those things? Commas, semicolon, periods, exclamation points. What is that called? There was no punctuations in the Greek. They don't know that, but I really like the fact that English translators put a period there. Here's why they put a period, because it's a complete phrase. It's a complete phrase. You will be saved. That's the best news I've heard all day. That if you believe Jesus, you'll be saved from the wrath to come. There's some saved people tonight. Now listen, I've got a refrigerator full of Red Bull sitting in my office today, but this news right here is even better. This makes me more excited than any, anything. That belief in Jesus equals salvation. So, according to verse 12, there's no option for judgment for those who sin apart from the law. Verse 13, for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. What is, Paul, what is Paul trying to prove? He is trying to prove that no one will be excused from wrath, even if you're under the law. And by under the law, he means you, you know of the gospel. You know of the gospel. No one will be excused from wrath. Because what does verse 11 set up for the, the purpose of our text right now? Verse 11 says God shows no partiality. God doesn't show favoritism. Just because you have the law does not mean you get interest to heaven. God doesn't say, oh, there's, there's Robert. Robert knows the law. Come in, my friend. No. There's no favoritism with God. The standard doesn't bear on whether or not you've been presented with something. What is God's standard? Well, let's ask this question. What is the law? Will the Orthodox Jew be saved? The Orthodox Jew has the law. He's going to judge us when we're at Troutman's and believe that his refraining from succulent barbecue will earn entrance Will the Orthodox Jew be saved? He is under law. Will Oprah be saved because she builds schools in Africa? Let me tell you, Oprah's going to let you know about them schools in Africa. You know what I'm saying? She's going to put them on own, on O, on O. 
whatever pronunciation start with O that she can propagate the fact that she's doing good works. Greek awe. Whatever it is, will she be saved from the good works? Will Tom Cruise be saved because the Church of Scientology tells him to be nice to people? What if there's a tribe of cannibals in South Africa, but one of them is a vegetarian? Will he be saved? That's pretty good, wasn't it? You're not saved by being better than the other people around you. Okay, let me explain it. If you're in a tribe of cannibals and you're vegetarian, it means you don't eat meat. Okay. Luke 10, 26. Here's the essence of the law. What is written in the law? Jesus replies. He replies to this man. How do you read it? And the man answered. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. What is actually living according to the law? Loving God and loving people. You see, the fact that someone sits at home and denies that the Sabbath begins Friday at sundown, and I know some legalistic Christians who are... What I mean legalistic is they believe that their strict structure or adherence to the law merits their salvation. Some may call these Messianic Jews. I don't believe they're Messianic Jews. They're just legalistic Christians. They believe the Bible says sundown begins Friday. And Friday from sundown to Saturday, Sunday, they will not leave their house because that is the Sabbath. This is what an Orthodox Jew would do. They're under the law. But see, verse verse 13 tells us you're not saved because you hear God or understand God or even because you claim to know God. True transforming faith takes such root in you that you will now by your nature do the things in the law. What I'm saying is when you accept Christ, it doesn't mean you no longer eat barbecue. It means that everything you do is undergirded by loving God and loving people. That's the essence. That's the essence When you do the law, it means your life is now about loving God and loving people. That is the law of God. That's what it's all about. See, sinners in their nature do not keep the law. Because the essence of the law is to love God. Sinners don't do this. This proves that actions are not the essence of the law. Get this. This is deep right here. Actions are not the essence of the law, but motivation. What is motivating you? The sinner feeds hungry people because they think it will earn their entrance. Well, I'm not as bad as that guy because, look, I feed hungry people. They think it's elevating their status above other people. If works are trying to earn righteousness, then it's not a work of faith. This is why Isaiah 64, 6 says, Our righteousness says are like filthy rags to God. Let me read that again. Our righteousness says are like filthy rags to God. My question is, how can righteousness be plural? How can the writer say, my plurality of righteous is like filthy rags? See, righteousness is not a quantity, but a quality. It's impossible to have more than one righteousness. 
So we would know that when the writer in Isaiah says righteousness says, he's making something that should be a quality a quantity. What he's saying is that's now referring to repeated attempts to prove righteousness. Repeated attempts to prove that I'm better than the next guy. And what happens is, is that when our motivation is to earn righteousness by showing what we do, we are motivated not out of love, and it becomes filthy and evil to God. So that someone feeding homeless because they think it makes them better than someone else becomes filthy and evil to God. Would you agree that the Mona Lisa is one of the most unique paintings of all time? It's considered priceless. I mentioned many times before that I was able to see the Mona Lisa in the Louvre Museum in Paris with my wife. Now you would imagine that the Mona Lisa has a quality because of its nature. It has a beautiful quality because of its nature. But what if the story went like this? What if Leonardo da Vinci hired a murderer to take out his wife? And the murderer says, I'm going to take out your wife. But if I'm going to do this, I want you to paint me the most beautiful painting you've ever made. And call it the Mona Lisa. No longer does Leonardo da Vinci's achievement seem beautiful. It now seems filthy, doesn't it? It now seems evil. You see, what God looks at is not the action, but the motivation behind it. The motivation affects the quality of the action. Matter of fact, the motivation is the quality of the action. How did we get here? Because people who are simply under the law will not simply be saved. It's about the heart. I was going to ask George to share a story tonight, but he has, he's on the radio program right now as we speak. As he slipped out. George met a guy who was running a feeding ministry for the poor. And the guy says, he's not really into the religious thing. George says, what are you talking about, buddy? He says, well, I don't need religion to get to heaven. And if you know George South for more than two minutes, this opened up a can of worms. And George says, buddy, let me tell you something. Without Jesus, you will not make it to heaven. The guy says, what are you talking about? George shared the gospel with him. That we're all sinners. Good things don't remove sin. Matter of fact, they don't even affect it. It's still there and wrath will be brought. Do you know that two days ago that man accepted Christ? You see, he was under the law. He was doing good things. But that did not spare him from God's judgment. So it tells us that you will not be excused from wrath if you were under the law. The other thing it tells us is that you will not be excused from wrath if you are not under law. This is important. This is probably the most important question. If people are not under law, they've never heard the gospel, are they exposed to the same wrath as those? Well, this is where verse 13 through 15, I'm sorry, the rest of these passages explain it for us. Let's look at verse 10 as an explanation of the fact that no one will be absent from the wrath of God. Now verse 13, 14, 15 aren't explaining the day of judgment. They're explaining that God doesn't have partiality. 
That's their explanation. You don't put parentheses before you introduce a concept. You introduce a concept and then put parentheses. What concept did he introduce? There is no favoritism. That's what he's trying to explain. And then the verses in the parentheses are showing that everyone will be under wrath. So now look at verse 14. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law, do by nature the things required by the law. They are a law for themselves, even though they do not have law. What is this verse proving? Is it proving that these people who've never heard the gospel, well, they haven't rejected the gospel, so they seem like pretty good people. No, what he's saying is if they didn't have the law, they are a law. Do you see where I'm going now? They don't have the written law, but they have a moral law, which was then written on the heart of every man. It says, they by nature do the things in the law. They are being a law to themselves, so that we'll stand before God. Look at chapter 2, the beginning. It says this, therefore, you are inexcusable. Oh, man. That means without excuse. That everyone is before God, without excuse, What do you have to say for your sinful condition? I have nothing to say. I have no excuse. I'm sinful. I'm a sinner. I deserve wrath. That's what I call a bad oh man. Therefore you are inexcusable oh man. The oh man of Christianity is that all will be under wrath. No matter if you've heard the gospel or not, under wrath. Why do you think Lottie Moon spent her whole life in China? It's not because she thought, well, I guess the Chinese are going to be judged according to a different standard. No, she said, all people are under wrath unless they have the gospel and can respond to it. And guess what? No one can respond to a gospel they've not heard. And when we sit back and say, well, God's going to judge them based upon if they ate less cannibals than the other cannibals. That's not how it's going to work. They're judged based on their condition. They're sinners. Let's move on to 15. You see, here's what they show. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. This is the reason for the parentheses. The parentheses are saying that even Gentiles are responsible to God's law. Because they show that it's written on their heart. Go ask an atheist, why are you nice to people? I guess that's what you should do. Why should you do it? I mean, we're just particles of matter and gas floating around in space. Why don't you just go, you know... Run over everybody with a car. What's the difference? It's just chemicals. Why should you do that? They know they're supposed to be nice to people because there's a moral law written upon their heart. They are a law to themselves, showing that the requirements of the law are written on their heart. Their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and other times excusing them. And it's not referring to verse 16. You see... 13, 14, 15 explain the concept introduced in 11 and 12. It's not saying that anyone will be excused at day 16, verse 16, the day of judgment. The parentheses refers to the concept introduced, not the one coming after. And the one coming after is that there will be a day of judgment. And what's going to happen on the day of judgment? Verse 12 tells us, on the day of judgment, all who sin apart from the law will perish. That's how we get back to our concepts. We want to understand Scripture, look at the text, look at the context. What's the context of that concluding part? The context is 12, all who sin will perish. So the parentheses doesn't change 16 or 12. It's explaining a concept that was introduced inside it. Some of you have no clue what I'm saying, but if you're following me, may this push you towards the fact that no one is without excuse. You see, 
these parentheses. That's why I said my message is don't put the emphasis on the wrong parentheses. These parentheses do not provide hope on the day of wrath for those who have never heard. Paul is not proving that God will show favoritism for the Gentiles. You see, here's what would happen. If God, uh, his promised people, the Jews, they have the law, and he's going to judge them according to the law. But the Gentiles don't have the law. Okay, come in. What's he doing? He's showing favoritism. They're just according to a different standard. But here's the point of the parentheses. Everyone's the same standard. That you've rejected God. Go back and read verse 2, the concepts we've introduced, that all men have rejected the truth And God had gave them up, God gave them over to a depraved mind because of their rejection. All have rejected the truth. The point of the parentheses is to say that the law has been written on their hearts. The point of the parentheses is that the Gentiles who do by nature the things in the law are a law unto themselves. So when they stay on the day of judgment, they will have no excuse. And in conclusion, verse 16 says, this will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets. Okay, okay. He introduced a new concept here. He was talking about actions and living under the law and living apart from the law and things you do. And now he says God is going to judge men's secrets? He just took it to another level. No longer is it about what you do. Now he's even going to judge the heart and the thought. No man is without excuse. So what will take place on the day God judges? Well, all who sin apart from the law will perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. We're sitting under the sound of the word of God tonight. You've heard the gospel at least once. The gospel is that all men are sinful, and Jesus Christ came to die for our sins. If you didn't know that before you came in here, now you're under the law. But let me tell you, you're going to be judged by the same standard before you even came and heard me tonight. Some have thought, well, if I go share the gospel in, in uh, you know, Africa and the person rejects it, now they're worse off. No, they're not worse off. They're in the same condition when you started. Here's the great thing. If you go and evangelize to someone and they say no, nothing has changed. But if they say yes, everything has changed. What if they say no? At least you gave it a shot. It does not change their condition or their response towards God. So, so our only option is to preach. Our only option is to share the gospel. Our only option is to hand out gospel tracts. Miss, uh, uh, Miss Velma, she took a whole stack. Matter of fact, I'm going to pick on you here for a minute. This is funny. It made me happy. She came. She says, where are the tapes? I said, what tapes? The ones we're supposed to pass out to people. I said, you mean the tract? She heard me handing out the tracks, hand out the tracks, like a movie soundtrack, the gospel recording track. She wanted to hand out the tracks, and I said, no, tracked. But here's the news. I don't care if it's on a, a gospel CD or a tape or even an eight track. If it hears the gospel, pass it out. How many of you had eight tracks? Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. You know what's funny is people collect records, but no one collects eight tracks. Isn't that funny? Who does? Do you? You need to bust out your eight track collection so we can have a little bit of nostalgia. So here's where we're at today. I hope we can walk away saying this. 
People who've never heard the gospel don't have an easy way out. And that's not what the scripture intended to say. I'll tell you what came in the mail today. A 14-volume commentary on the book of Romans. 14 volumes on Romans by Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin, excuse me, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Scripture is so important that he spent 30 years preaching through Romans. And he wrote 14 books just about that one part of the Bible. And you know what? Here's what happens when we hear godly men, when you come and hear a preacher. The preacher doesn't tell you something that's not in the Bible. The preacher just helps you see what the Bible is trying to show you. So why do I read commentaries? Because there's men of God who have great wisdom of God that can help me understand what the scripture is trying to say. And I will say that I've never examined a parenthesis like I have with this passage. I'll never think of a parenthesis in the same way that it means life and death to whether or not we may go share the gospel somewhere. This is how huge it is. Someone was telling me that it seems like Romans chapter 2 is the same message over and over and over and over and over. You know what? Praise be to God. Maybe we'll get it. Maybe we'll get it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your holy word. I thank you for the people of God which can come into the house of God to talk about the Son of God who has redeemed us and rescued us from the wrath of God. Lord, I pray that we are motivated to evangelism, not out of duty, not out of the fact that it earns righteousness, not if we get ten souls in the kingdom, we'll have a higher reward, but God, that if we don't get ten souls in the kingdom, that's ten souls who will perish for eternity. God, I pray the prayer of John Wesley that eternity would be stamped on our eyeballs. That when we look in the mirror, we wake up and we think about eternity. When we see people walking down the street, we think about eternity. When we see people come into the places of our work, we think about eternity. God, I stood before there today with a man at the checkout counter and thought about eternity. And I did not act upon that. God, I'm sorry. I pray that your Holy Spirit gives me strength to take advantage of every gospel opportunity you put in front of us. Lord, I don't care whether it's a tract, a t-shirt, a bumper sticker, a gospel tape, but God, whatever means necessary that the gospel would be shared and spread by your people for your glory. Help us to do that with your Holy Spirit. May we be encouraged that we have not in this race alone, that you, we have a comforter to enable us to do these things. We give you praise for that. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.